This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to the Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Hill and Dave Hill, the former Guardian London commentator who now runs the website On London. So James, you've written about the mayoral elections uh, this week in the Spectator magazine and the reason for that is we're in the run-up to another mayoral elections where Sadiq Khan may well be ousted uh, and the Conservatives have shortlisted three candidates. Tell us about them. Yeah, so first thing to say is that you know the Tories have a really big uphill battle in this election. There was a poll out in late April which showed that Labour were 40 points ahead in London. So you've got three candidates now who aren't particular big names. That was a hope on some of the Conservatives and CCHQ was that they could find some some candidate with stardust. So there were briefings around Karen Brady and Judge Rob Rinder, who might have got the job. But now we've ended up with these three, this trio. There's Susan Hall, who it was formerly the leader of the Greater London Assembly Group for the Conservatives. Uh, there's Daniel Korski, who's a David Cameron special advisor. And then there's also uh, Mazamal Hussein, who is very much the complete wildcard in this race. An incredible backstory, you know, grew up in a Bengali mud hut and came to Britain at the age of 21, taught himself English and is now a King's Council lawyer. Um, but they'll be going, they went head to head on Friday for the first debate. And really, they all agree on three issues. There are very different candidates, we all agree on three issues. One, that crime or the perception of crime is out of control. Two, that ULES, which is the kind of clean air initiative of, of Sadiq Khan, needs to be scrapped. And three, that Sadiq Khan himself has a very poor record, which they're hoping to attack. And really, the main Tory strategy seems to be, whoever gets it, is that they want to turn this into a referendum on Sadiq Khan and his record in office. Mm-hmm. And Dave, just before we go on to talk about the, the topics, the, the campaign platform that James has just outlined... When you look at these three candidates, what is your take on them? Because all three of them are quite different to the last Conservative mayor London had. Knowing what you know about London politics and voter intentions and patterns, who do you think has the best chance of winning? Uh, James is quite right to emphasise the fact that in certainly in general election terms and recent electoral record terms, last year's local elections, for example, uh, Labour, any Labour candidate looks to have a big advantage. And that's going to be very difficult, I agree, uh, for any Conservative candidate to overcome. And I'm sure that uh, James is absolutely right about those three issues, uh, that uh, whoever the Conservative candidate is will challenge Sadiq Khan on. Uh, I would sort of add as an extra bit, this is Sadiq going for a third term, and there's going to be a certain amount of, oh, not him again, uh, in the mix. So I can sort of see, despite what I've just said, I can see how the Conservatives think that they are in with a chance if they if things go their way, if they pick the right candidate and they and they pick the right issues. Now, of the three, uh, it's amusing. It's amused me in the last couple of days the way uh, a couple of the candidates have started to be described in the media by as shortened versions of their first names. So now we have Moz and Dan. We don't have Sue or Susie yet. Seems. I don't know if there's any significance in that. Um, <laughs> But it's just quite entertaining to see that. Moz, of course, is a complete unknown. I think there was only one journalist who even got wind of the fact that he'd applied for the job. Uh, and that was over the weekend. Uh, that, that, that bit of news appeared. 
and his name on the shortlist took me and a load of other people completely by surprise and we still don't know very much about what he uh, plans to do. Mm. Uh, hopefully that will start to, to emerge as we have more hustings and so on. Uh, Daniel Korski, I discovered to my surprise when I was sorting through some uh, some old bookmarks on my computer the other day had came up with us with a with a bunch of quite interesting very techy slightly out of left field ideas at the early uh, in, in the run up to what was going to be the previous mayoral election in 2020 and and uh, it's worth trying to track that down on twitter some of the some of the suggestions that he had to me i suppose this is a, this is my sort of view it, it's it's a it's a sort of personal view rather than a political judgment uh, about his chances. Uh, he he is interesting. He's going to offer some he's going to offer some different kinds of ideas, including for the Conservative membership who are going to make the choice between the three. He has said yes that he wants to do away with the ULES if it if it's expanded, maybe even if it isn't expanded uh, on August the twenty ninth. But he has also said that he is interested in what people call smart road user pricing. Again, we haven't had a lot of detail on that, but this is something that's been talked about a lot in sort of think tanky worlds and uh, in TFL world. Is that, is smart road user pricing ultimately the only answer to London's big road traffic congestion problem? So that's quite an interesting one for a Conservative candidate to be putting forward. So I'm going to be watching him with interest. And Susan Hall, I think my immediate take was that she would be the one most likely to win because to Conservative Party members in London, she will be the one they probably most of them, more of them will have heard of because of her London Assembly record and because she goes on TV channels like GB News and Talk TV and moans about how terrible Steve Khan is so all the time. Uh, and she's very, very active on Twitter. So she's got a bit of a bit of profile there as a as a kind of uh, punchy quite aggressive anti-city campaigner but I think uh, I think that if I were in the Sadiq Khan camp I think I might be thinking that although she might be quite an abrasive campaigner on ULEs and crime she could be quite easily projected as really out there in the wild wild west of the right mm. uh, she was a Boris Johnson loyalist and perhaps still is right the way through Partygate and mm. onwards until she decided that she was going to have a go at becoming the mayoral candidate. She had a picture up the, on her Twitter profile of herself and Boris. She was constantly defending Boris Johnson. So the timing of Boris's current difficulties, not great for her. So I can see how she might, attacks from her might be repelled. Daniel Korski, Perhaps a more complicated proposition for the Labour incumbent. Mm. Yeah, and I think that already I was speaking to some people in Labour and they were pointing out that, you know, both Dan Korski and Susan Hall supported the mini-budget, for instance, and they want to make this referendum on the Tories in number 10. So, you know, the Tories want to talk about Sadiq Khan. Well, they're going to say, well, we're going to respond by talking about Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, Rishi Sunak in office. Um, and that's really what their pitch, I think, is going to be partly. It's They will say they will rattle off a list of Sadiq Khan's uh, achievements or purported achievements, but they will also be making it saying vote Labour, because it's not obviously we should say that this is under the first-past-the-post system for the first time, uh, vote Sadiq, or else you're going to get a Tory candidate, whatever happens, and they'll frame it in that kind of binary way. But also what's really interesting, I think, here is that 
rightly or wrongly, City Hall is judged, I think, in the context of Westminster. And success in one is seen as a prelude to success in the other. And so Labour are really excited, I think, for the first time in 16 years now, you could have a Labour Prime Minister in number 10 and a Labour Mayor in City Hall as well. So it'll be interesting to see how the dynamics play out there and the extent to which Labour HQ back City Khan. There's been some tensions there. And also, conversely, how much CCHQ will back the London Tory mayoral candidate because they don't want to be linked to a loss. But equally, you know, they look at last time, they think Sean Bailey, you know, it was only sort of 5% swing in it. There's 10 point margin, but 5% swing could have been much more better than they thought, perhaps. So uh, if they get proper resources... They, you know, some Tories think they could get a bit of a go. What, James, on Sean Bailey, I mean, there's some people, especially those close to Sean Bailey, who say that CCHQ didn't give him enough support last time round. Was that just because last time round they didn't think he would win, so they kind of just threw an in towel, or was that actually just unfair interpretation? I think that last time there was perhaps a sense that Sean Bailey, who, you know, most people have a pretty decent thing to say about, but wasn't really had the sort of star quality of, you know, Boris Johnson or even Zach Goldsmith, who ran in 2016 to replace him, wasn't a particularly glamorous candidate, that Sadiq Khan was going to win anyway, uh, and therefore it wasn't given the proper resources. And of course, remember, there was also the exceptional circumstances of COVID. And then we saw the result on the night. I thought, oh my God, he did better than expected, really, mm. here. So I think there's some hope that the Tories are taking from that. And also now you've got the new factor of Euler's, which you uh, think you can see is considered to be electoral worthy because it's being used in the Uxbridge and Ryslip by-election. Uh, that's really what the Tories there are campaigning on. And it'll be interesting to see whether that makes any dent in stopping Labour's numbers. Dave, for listeners who are not living in London, can you explain why the ULS situation is just so political at the moment? All road user charging schemes are controversial and attract noisy opposition. Ken Livingston, when he introduced the original congestion charge in 2003, was doubted even by his uh, closest advisers. And this was just the central, the very centre of London. And uh, he pressed ahead and and went for it. It was a high-risk policy. It worked out okay. It wasn't a complete disaster for him. And it's sort of here to stay. So even when Boris Johnson was mayor, although he didn't like the because Ken Livingston added another bit on the west uh, to the west and sort of doubled the size of the congestion charge zone. Boris Johnson did away with that, but he didn't do away with the first bit. But the point I'm making is that people get very angry about it and people get very nervous about it. I've been finding it really quite difficult to figure out how big a deal this really is, bearing in mind what I said about people who are against these kinds of schemes, whatever form they take, are very, very against them. And it's very, very difficult to figure it out. Now, and, and I know that other, other London journalists have been trying to do this as well. My sort of hunch is that it might not be quite such a big deal as it looks as if it's going to be. The reason I'm, I'm uncertain about it is because, it, first of all, it is quite difficult to really quantify how many, how many people are going to be fed up about it, which mm. is, in terms of electoral politics, how many people are going to be fed up about it Uh, How many of them are people who would normally vote Labour and are fed up about it enough to not vote for the Labour candidates as a result? Let's remember that the person who who, uh, planned the original central London, ULES, was Boris Johnson. And Sadiq Khan simply implemented a Boris Johnson policy, albeit a year early. So the polling is very complicated on this. I can't quite figure it out. If I can be boring about this for another moment... Uh, there have been some council by-elections in outer London seats this year. And I think in each case, we've seen uh, Labour slip back a bit. And we've seen the Conservatives uh, campaigning strongly against ULES. 
But according to uh, Lewis Baston, who's the person who writes, who's a highly respected reader of, of, of electoral numbers, you know, he, he there, there could, was there really a ULES factor in the Conservatives picking up a bit of ground on Labour in those by-elections? Well, you can't really say for sure that there was. You know, there could have been other things going on. Could have just been the fact that it's a by-elect, by-elections in, in relatively safe seats. So it's quite a hard one to pin down this, but it's obviously one that Sadiq Khan is going to want to watch very carefully. Yes, and just to say also, I think that you know, the danger of covering these things is, you know, you're just talking to one side, you're listening to one side. It's the Conservative election going on and you hear a lot of optimistic talk. That has to be set against the realities of the demographics in London uh, and pointing to long-term trends. I think 1992 was the last time at a general election when... Uh, the Tories did better than Labour at a general election. And then, you know, even in 2015 at a general election, when the Conservatives made gains across the country, I think the only place they fell back was London. And of course, in 2019, that big majority, the only seat that the Tories lost was, of the net gain to Labour was to um, the Labour on Putney in West London. So I think that they've got real battle here, partly due to, you know, the changing face of the city, also due to the uh, property crisis as well and planning and renting, etc. So they're going to have a big, big uphill battle. And as I say, also, you know, Labour are going to make this about number 10. Rightly or wrongly, I think most voters do vote on the kind of national trends and picture. But the Tories are just hoping perhaps maybe if they don't win necessarily, they could at least have a better than expected showing and that therefore they might be able to save some of those London seats, which they might not look like they're going to win at, on current polling trends. And very finally, James, on Friday there was an intriguing piece of reporting from the Financial Times that a certain Boris Johnson might be considering running again for London mayor, albeit as an independent candidate. How much credence do you give that to that reporting? I am very sceptical <laughs> because I think Boris Johnson uh, has tended to win his battles against uh, s- uh, sexagenarian or septagenarian old socialists of the old school Labour left i.e. Ken Livingstone and Jeremy Corbyn, and I'd be very surprised if he'd want to take on this fight at a time when the Conservatives are 40 points behind in London, let alone an independent candidate in a two-horse first-past-the-party uh, vote, so uh, I very much doubt it. Do you think uh, it's... Which is, the, which is the more likely to be a candidate for London Mayor next year, Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn? <laughs> well, given that Jeremy Corbyn likes to fight losing battles, I have to say Mr Corbyn. <laughs> I think I'm with you on that one, yeah. Dave and James, thank you so much for joining this podcast and thank you very much for listening at home.